Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. My guest on this episode is Farzana Doctor. Farzana is the author of five books, including, most recently, the novel Seven, published by Dundurn Press, which landed on many best-of-the-year lists in 2020, and the poetry collection You Still Look the Same, published by Freehand Books in 2021. In its review of the collection, the Globe and Mail said it, quote, reads as a poetic memoir reflecting on a time filled with vulnerability and opportunity, while Quill and Choir called it, quote, powerful and necessary. I will let you know how you can win a copy of You Still Look the Same a little later in the podcast. In our conversation, Farzana talks about how she learned to market herself as an author, how publishing her first collection of poetry was a surprisingly relaxing experience, and how the messes of her 40s have broadened her ambitions as a writer. I'm, um, I'm um, fostering a dog. Just he's, he's actually leaving today. But once in a while, he just gets up and whines for no reason. He's flat, like fast asleep right now. So mm-hmm. just cross our fingers that that's how it stays. That's totally fine. I, mm-hmm. I, have, a, um, I have a border collie that is, that is now two years old. Two years? Yes. And so my students, because I teach online, are now used to me just talking like this into a into a screen and constantly picking up an old rope and just doing this, <laughs> flinging it into the next room, and they can just hear this like scurry of feet as it comes back and 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 off. So, That's a great. dog is very welcome, even though this episode will come out in a few weeks. We're recording this on May first, twenty twenty three, and I didn't realize when I invited you on that the book we're mainly going to talk about came out exactly one year ago, May yes. 1st, 2022, which is your collection of poetry. Uh, you still look the same. Do you know, uh, the first thing that popped into my head was, oh, I've got to do a social media post about it being one year. <laughs> you know, um, my brain has gotten very um, attuned now to figuring out what's something I can do to promote it. Um mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but that is how my brain works. So that's the only thing I thought was like, oh, it's been a year. I need to like use that for content creation. That's actually something I want to talk to you about. And we'll get into it in a bit. Most of the writers I've spoken to so far have been very media savvy. And it's been interesting to push back against that cliche of the author who retreats who kind of goes to the launch, goes to a couple of bookstores, signs some copies, talks to Sheila Rogers, and then is like, please don't talk to me for the next 18 months. Does that come naturally to you? Has that always come naturally? Or is that something you had to learn? I did have to learn, but it, it I learned very easily, I would say. So I, I sometimes think about how, you know, my, my larger family and community that I'm from is an entrepreneurial kind of community. And so it just made sense to me at the beginning that I've worked really hard on my first novel. This is many years ago. Um, I, I'm going to have to do something to promote it. I was working with Inanna, which is a small feminist press. And um, back then, Luciana, who was the editor, said to me, like, we're going to publish it. We're going to get you a couple of reviews, but like set your expectations really low for what we're mm-hmm. going to do. 
So I, I learned really early on, I think I even bought a book called like the dummies guide to self-promotion, something like that. Wow. So I, I started to learn and I started to notice what other people were doing and borrowed and stole lots of different kinds of strategies. Um, so by now, you know, we're talking about 16 years later, it comes quite naturally. There's lots of new things that I don't know how to do. And I sometimes get other people to help me. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to ever be interested in TikTok. I knew um, you were going to say TikTok. I, that's yeah. the one, that's the line that I, that so many authors, you know, yes. can't yeah. cross. It's so performative and, you know, well, all social media is performative, but the other parts of social media are things that I can like find a place for myself in. So, you know, what I've thought to myself is, you know, I'll, I'll hire someone to do a couple of reels for me when the next book comes out and, you know, that's, that's how I'm going to be on TikTok. And it'll also be on all the other, you know, be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, which I'm much more comfortable with. Um, so I think by now it, it, it feels natural that it's just part of the job. Now I do take time not to do it. Um, maybe not as much as I would like, but I do um, create like DIY writing retreats for myself where it's like a week someplace really beautiful away from everything. I, you know, have the out of office reply on, there's no pressure on me to do any other kinds of work or social engagement. And then I can really get into whatever I'm working on. So you actually portion off these moments where you're like, I have to turn off that part of my brain, that part of my world. I I try to do that. Yeah. Because otherwise it's so easy to get distracted. And you know, we know that distracted writing isn't like our deepest, best writing, right? We need to be really immersed. I never try to shame any author about self-promotion. And I try to learn these lessons myself, but I do sometimes chuckle, I guess, it's the nicest way to put it. When some people go on those retreats, they're like, I'm going off to write. And within a day, you start getting the pictures of their, their view out their window and you start getting the pictures of their laptop with the forest behind them. And you're like, look at me. I'm out immersed in nature and thinking and thinking about my book. And I'm like, not really. I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing because I do that too. You know, yeah. I'll be like, I'll be like 10 minutes and then back to it. You know, it's, it's kind of like my little break from the writing, but yeah, I, <laughs> I do that too. It's hard to resist. I, hard I to have resist. this formulation. I wonder if you agree with this, but I've always had this formulation in my head that writers need to be artists, but you also need to be weasels and you can't let the two of them talk to each other too much. It's like the sales department and the editorial department, church and state but you need a little bit of both and you need to decide what the balance is, but it's good for your own well-being, for the sales, for the career health to have a bit of weasel in you where you're like, yes, I will do things the artist maybe doesn't approve of, but yes. I need to do that to support that artist. I, I think we need to have um, the artist not having any expectations around sales, reviews, anything right the artist just has to be able to do that work um but yeah i i don't know that i would call it my weasel side i would definitely call it my like book promoter or um entrepreneurial side that side says 
is there anything we can do to make sure that this gets into more readers' hands? Mm. Is there anything we can do to help it along? Um, and even that side has to be without too many expectations. We can have you know some hopes and desires, but we just don't know what sells books, right? Um, it 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 often feels like a lot of good luck when something good happens. Um, right time, right place, right people, right moment, whatever. And then you have all of these moments where it's like with Seven, for example, I hired um, a publicist in the US to do a little US publicity for me. And it turned out to be at a time when like Trump was like the main like news item for a couple of weeks. And, you know, the publicist said, I'm really sorry. Like we just didn't get the nibbles that we wanted because this is what's in the news. That whole question of expectations is one that I've that I've already kind of brought up a lot in the conversations I'm having in this podcast. So I want to talk about that a bit, a little bit in the context of you putting out a collection of poetry versus a novel, which is what you had been putting, you've been publishing novels and winning awards and getting a lot of attention, getting a lot of readers. Was there a change in the expectations and in change in terms of like, your your sort of pre-publication feelings, fears around that? Yeah, it you know, I have been writing poetry my whole life, but it was a really big stretch for me to put together a collection, right? Like the the practice of editing poetry and then figuring out how it all fits together is was just very new to me. So for the poetry collection, I felt like my artist self was most active. Um, and I had very low expectations around, I did lots of self-promotion, but I had very low expectations around book sales um, because it's poetry. And unfortunately, it's not a very, there's not a very big market for poetry. So th that was kind of lovely, actually, to have most of my focus on line breaks and wordplay and the order of, you know, the poems. What was also interesting is in the past, I've had four or five years between novels. So there was all this time to kind of go away a little bit more and to focus on the writing. But Seven came out in 2020, and then You Still Look the Same came out in 2022. So this was a very different experience for me um, in that I was pretty much busy with Seven and promoting it, I feel like for over a year, year and a half. And then I was like busy working on the poetry collection and getting that ready. So I never really stopped the self-promotion, mm. but my artist's side was more active and happier. So I got very lucky. I think it was a year ago today that um, I got a feature in the Globe and Mail for my writer life and for you still look the same. And once that came out, I was like, okay, if nothing else happens, I'm really happy because to get a feature in the Globe and Mail is like the Canadian version of being on Oprah. I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to just see what happens. Of course, I'll take whatever opportunities come my way, but I'm not going to hustle. I had hustled so much for seven, right? That was a pandemic book. Had to really hustle. The other thing that I was able to do with You Still Look the Same because it came out, you know, on the heels of Seven was that I could do promotion for both at the same time. So I could do a reading where I was 
reading a little bits from each and find complimentary things. You Still Look the Same felt very much like a book I was promoting with the last novel. And you mentioned that the collection of poetry made you happy in the sense that it was more your artist self that was focused on it post-publication, not, not in terms of the writing it necessarily. But those expectations were much more tied with artistic achievement, with literary achievement maybe, because mm -hmm. the sales expectations, you couldn't, you couldn't pin any hopes on that really. This may sound like an odd question, but did, does that make that book feel a little bit more yours in the sense that the novels are out in the world, they're being read by prize juries and media people and reviewers and readers, and there's constant attention, whereas the poetry, even though it gets attention, it got that Globe profile, it gets reviewed, and it's been reviewed very well, there's, there's more of a connection to you. You didn't, you didn't have to hustle it quite so much. That doesn't quite ring true. I feel like they all really belong to me. You know, you sit with these projects for so freaking long, right? So they, they really all feel like important pieces of me. What was just different was I felt like I relaxed um, for mm. the first time um, with a book being in, you know, post-publication. I just relaxed. So I took took what came and that was an interesting experience for me just to be able to say like oh so this is a different kind of approach to have after a book comes out maybe I don't have to be so stressed maybe I can still have good things happen and not be so stressed I think I was pretty stressed with my second novel with its promotion I was pretty stressed with um <laughs> with my third novel I got um, shingles two months after it came out. Oh no. Right. So I was really stressed about how was it going to do? Was it going to do as well as the second book? I was really caught up. Um, and then with, you know, my fourth novel, I was pretty stressed just because it was a pandemic book. And it's like, how am I going to, how am I going to make this work? I'm just butting in here for a moment to let you know how you can win a free copy of You Still Look the Same by Farzana Doctor courtesy of Freehand Books. Go to nathanwhitlock.ca slash contact and send a message to me with the subject line, You Still Look the Same Giveaway. That's nathanwhitlock.ca slash contact and send a message with the subject line, You Still Look the Same Giveaway. I'll do a draw on Saturday, May 27th for the winner. Now back to my conversation with Farzana. If we could just go back to that, to, to Seven, the idea of it coming out during a pandemic, how long before you knew that was the date? Like, were you looking ahead and saying, oh, no? Well, you know, like everybody else, I thought it was going to be over in a couple of months, right? So when um, the publisher contacted me and said we might have to delay the publication, you know, um, Dundurn kind of shut down and uh, laid off a lot of its uh, staff, unfortunately, for a few months um, at the beginning of the pandemic. So uh, it was a really tough time for them. And, you know, they said, maybe we need to delay. And I, I wrote back and I said, no, you know, don't, don't you think by, you know, August, things will be back to normal. Of course, we all laugh at this now. Um, so um, I, I was starting to see what was happening um, you know, by May, June, you know, and I started to watch, um, 
I saw I saw what Vivek Shreya was doing with her book, The Subtweet. She was one of the first to just be like, I'm going to be on Instagram live now. That's how I'm launching. Right. So I just started to watch others who were a few months ahead of me uh, to see, like, how do you do this? And is this even useful? And what's what, how do I make this better? So I, I did have a bit of time to prepare and I did a lot of virtual events. It's the only thing that makes me grateful that it took me longer to finish my newest book was that I just managed to get over that line. Not at all the plan, but uh, that's how it worked out. With Seven, do you feel like now that things have opened up, festivals are back in person, readings, bookstores are open? Have you found it has somewhat of a second life again, that you're able to go and read from it, that you're able to kind of present it again? Or is there this focus on we just want the new we just want whatever's whatever's the newest thing a lot of it comes through how I will pitch it right so I have done a couple of festivals where I've said can I talk about both books at the same time and you know nearly always people said yes of course you know do what you want to do um so I've I've requested that um, often. I'm going to be doing an event um, in a couple of weeks at a bookstore, and um, there, there's no requirement that I do anything in particular. So I will, I will just, I will help Seven along <laughs> um, by giving it an extended life for sure. So a little bit of reading from each book. But to tell you the truth, you know, Seven was um, it was 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 a different experience for me. I did a lot of virtual events, but I also became more of a public speaker uh, with Seven because the the subject matter has to do with female genital cutting, and that was a topic that you know was so hard to talk about before Seven came out. Like it was so hard to broach the subject, hard to get it on any agendas, right? Um, but now with a book, suddenly people are kind of more interested in hearing what you have to say. So a lot of my book promotion after Seven came out became public speaking on this issue and then selling the book. Um, most of those conversations were like a quarter about setting and character and plot and then three quarters about the issues, which, you know, is, is good, right? I, I was able to make a contribution that way. So that carried on, that public speaking um, has carried on to today. It's, it's slowed down quite a lot, but that gives it a, a bit more of a life too. I remember reading that in another interview that you did about that idea of like a quarter of the conversations are about stylistic questions and literary questions. And the rest of it is about the, the political issues and the cultural issues it raises. Mm -hmm. But it again, it makes me wonder about the contrast between the reception of Seven and You Still Look the Same, where I would imagine people who speak to you about the poetry are not saying, let's talk about these issues. Yes. It's yes. really more focused on, let's talk about your craft, your process. Not that you resented those other conversations, but does that feel sort of refreshing to just... Now I'm a writer. So, so much more refreshing and um, so much more fun for me. Um, you know, again, yes, I appreciate having all of, you know, the opportunities to be able to speak about those hard issues. But, you know, we it's not it's not the totality of me and I don't always want to be talking about hard issues. And so, yeah, it's really delightful when people ask, why did you decide to have those four sections and why does a haiku start each section like that's just so much fun. Um, 
you know, my next book that's coming out is a YA um, novel. Again, another stretch for me, like as a as a writer. And I'm really looking forward to what those conversations will be like. There'll be a few hard conversations because, well, I can't stop myself from writing about hard things, but um, I'm looking forward to talking more about plot and setting once again at literary events. Are you saying that your YA novel is not set in a circus with some wizards and uh, <laughs> elves and you didn't choose to just do something fantastical? It's set in a boarding school in the mid 80s. And there is a little bit of like magical realism and like mm -hmm. some fun ghosty stuff in there. Um, but because of life, um, there's also, you know, issues around um, gender-based violence, um, racism, that kind of stuff is, is in there too. This may be a hard question and you feel free to bat it aside if, if you want. But I know that there are sometimes those conversations when an author proposes a new book and they are, let's say, known for one thing, as you were known for writing novels. Was there a moment when you said, I want my next book to be a collection of poetry? That's what I'm focused on now. That's my focus. That's my literary focus, my artistic focus. Were there any conversations, people in your life, people who help manage your literary career who said, ah, we've got this momentum with the novel. You're really a novel, you know, or was it like, well, you go off and have fun and and we'll support you. I, I didn't receive any discouragement. You know, um, I so my my um, agent is Rachel Latovsky. I sent her a very rough version of what um, the co collection was. She was really supportive um, and she started sending it out right away. Now we didn't have a lot of success initially. Um, we had a lot of rejections. And I think now when I look back, it's because I probably needed to work with an editor um, a bit earlier on in the process. Um, I didn't realize what was wrong with it until much later. So at that point she said, um, you know, maybe you could go on your own and look for, you know, some small presses. As soon as she said that, I was introduced by a colleague to freehand and they said yes. So it wasn't a long process after that. Um, so no, I, I had uh, I had a lot of support and um, the way that um, everybody kind of marketed it was like debut collection from novelist, right? <laughs> or something. So <laughs> It, 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 it didn't seem to be any kind of impediment. Um, and um, maybe Rachel knows at the same time, like I was working on a couple of other projects, one of which is the YA novel that's coming out next year. So it's, I think she also represents a number of people who are multi-genre writers um, or even multi-genre artists in general. So um, maybe she has the comfort for that. I'm interested in what you said about your feeling that maybe the manuscript that initially went out needed needed an editor's hand. Yes. Do you think that was due to it being your first collection and and it even though you had been doing this for so long and doing this all your life that you didn't fully understand the process as well as you yes. understand like novel writing? Yes, absolutely. Like I, I liken the experience of writing this first poetry collection to um, how my first novel was. You know how um, sometimes um, writers who are just a bit newer to the craft, they don't, they don't see what their mistakes are. 
um, they sometimes send it out for publication way too early because the, the, the process of editing has become, it started to feel really tedious and you just don't know what you're supposed to fix, right? So I think that's how it was with the poetry collection. I was like, this is good, right? This is good, but I didn't know what I needed to fix. So when I worked, so I worked with Sharon Paul Ruprai. Um, she was the editor. So she, she came back to me and she said, there's a lot of issues with this poetry collection. And I was initially like, oh, okay. Like happy to get the feedback, but also like, oh, so I didn't know. Mm. <laughs> I just didn't know. Um, and so she pointed in a lot of directions. She, you know, offered a lot of suggestions for the places. But when she pointed in the direction, I would, that was when I could go, oh, I see. But I couldn't see it without someone pointing in the direction for me. And um, so I just sat and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked with it. And I am a writer who, um, you know, even my 10th draft is kind of ugly. Um, sometimes it needs to be the 20th before I really feel like, oh, I got it. I figured it out. The same is happening right now with, I'm, I'm doing edits on the YA novel and um, the editor, P.S. Single, you know, pointed in a lot of directions. And I was like, God, I didn't see those things. How did I not see those things? I thought I was supposed to know these things by now. And then, you know, work at it, work at it, work at it. And then the light bulb goes on. I wonder if looking back at that book, at, at You Still Look the Same, with that that newfound experience and that sort of new eye for how the process works, are you able to look at it and see things that, oh, even now you might want to change or you might want to tweak? Or are you, is the door closed on that? Do you close the door on your books or do you still look at them and want to kind of go in and re-edit? I, you know, because that's my fifth book, I'm kind of like, yeah, just, you know, close the door. You've got other projects to work on. But I, there, there is something that if, you know, if I could, if there was another printing and I could change one thing, like I might change the title of one of my poems. There was, it, that sort of came to me after that I should have changed the title. So there's, there are things I saw, but. What I was the title? What was the title you were wanting to change? I need to get it. I'll just grab it so I can. We're gonna have to edit this down. <laughs> I may or may not. Okay, so um, is it this one? Yeah. Um, the first uh, poem in section one is called Blame It on Childhood One. I think I would have um, left it at Blame It on Childhood One, but added like a subtitle to the title. So it'd be a really long title. Um, and it would say something like, or, an alternate table of contents. Because <laughs> one of the things I was trying to do, um, one of the things I was playing with, with that poem was to introduce the poetry collection. Um, and there are elements of all the poems um, in, in this one poem, but no one would really know that, I think. So were all the poems in the book written during a fairly recent period or did they do they sort of date back to when you first started writing poetry or nearly all of them I wrote in my 40s um so I, I think of this as the collection from my 40s a couple of them were earlier poems that got completely rewritten in my 40s um so this was a decade that really kind of kicked me in my butt um it was a difficult decade like 
the 40s, I, I went through a major breakup um, of a long-term relationship. And then um, I started having old trauma memories come up and I started online dating, really just my first experience really at dating um, uh, in my 40s. And then um, I fell in love, um, was going through perimenopause, which is like really a thing. Um, so this was, this was a decade that felt like a roller coaster to me. And I was, you know, I, I had imagined, and, you know, now I look back and go, ha ha, but I had imagined, you know, by the time you're in your forties, you kind of know stuff about yourself. And then everything got challenged and maybe that happens in every decade, but I didn't really experience that in my thirties. You know, the twenties were rocky in their own kind of way, but my thirties were kind of like a lot of the same and the forties were a lot. So yeah, so this is a collection that looks at all these weird things that happened in my forties. It's almost like the twenties and part of your thirties or the twenties are where you accumulate. You just kind of, you receive, you receive, you receive and accumulate, accumulate your thirties. You kind of pack it, consolidate. you consolidate. That's the perfect word. And then forties, it all just starts to crumble and fall apart. Has that opened? Well, clearly it opened sort of new places of creativity for you. Do you think that's did. going to have a profound impact even going forward with future books? I, th I think so. You know, you still look the same um, because it was, you know, new territory for me in terms of um, genre, right? Like in terms of just really stretching and learning. Um, I realize that I'm comfortable doing that, right? So the next book is a YA book. I have um, a self-care kind of manual that I'm working on. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm working on a memoir. Um, and I also have ideas for kids books. So like, and that that's really brand new. I was just a novelist, right? For my first four books. And that's what I thought I was doing. And now I'm kind of curious about like, can I, can I stretch and learn and grow? And I think we'll see what we say next, what I say next decade, but I, I sort of feel like my, um, my goals for my writing career have shifted. Before it was, you know, be a novelist, try to climb whatever that ladder is of what we perceive to be success. And now, I, I do want to prioritize or privilege the artist in me that wants to learn and grow and have a little bit of fun in the process. And yeah, like I, I, I really want to learn what it's like to write a picture book one day. I like that. that. I love that idea that, that, that idea that this, those goals have changed from this book is going to take me somewhere. And even though I'm proud of the book, and obviously I've put so much work in it, it's also something I'm going to hold on to as it pulls me into another area of life, of career. And then as you put more books out, as you grow older, you start to realize the books aren't there to pull you. They're there to exist on their own. They're their own thing. And it's yes. more important to make good books. Yes. And you can't really trust them to pull you. If, if they do pull you somewhere, cool. Like, you know, if, if you get to go to some amazing festival with it, amazing, that's terrific. Um, but there's no guarantee. One book might do all of those things and the next book, and you're so proud of that book, but it's the wrong 
time and place, whatever the audience is not interested and it doesn't, doesn't happen. I have to ask, is there plans for another collection now that, now that you've put out your first collection of poetry, do you have that thought of like, now I also want to put out some more poetry or do you feel like I've kind of scratched that itch? Uh, For now I've scratched the itch, although I do still write poetry and I, you know, just put it into a file, you know, a folder on my (laughs) computer. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm enjoying writing it, but I'm not sure that I have a good enough idea for a collection um, to pull it all together. Maybe I'll submit some of it, you know, to journals or whatever. Although I don't enjoy that process. I have to tell you, that's one of the things I like about writing books rather than um, submitting the individual pieces. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't like pitching that stuff. So maybe that's also why I'm just like, I have to wait until something really makes sense as a collection again, because now I understand how a collection works. But no, I am a bit distracted with all the other things. So plus, I've got the beginnings of a new novel. This is that's also a really different thing that's happened. Um, in the past, I was pretty much working on one thing at a time. And now I have this like whiteboard that is sitting over here that has like five columns <laughs> of ideas. And um, so my brain is um, working a bit differently as a writer these days. You, you just, you made me shiver a little bit because I remember being in my early 20s and doing the whole thing of like self-addressed stamped envelope and you put it in with the submission and then you wait, you know, 14 months to hear back and then, okay, I've got to send out 12 more. I, I can't spend the time or the emotional labor. Yes. Um, it's, it's really disheartening, that whole process. And, you know, while I understand that the publishing world is not easy for anybody, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about uh, working with an agent is that they really shield you um, from a lot of this heartache and discouragement. Yeah. I like being shielded. And you have your whiteboard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it drives me a little bananas, but yeah. What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. To let me know what you think of this podcast or to suggest a future guest, please go to the contact page at nathanwhitlock.ca. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.